Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. The past few years have seen a positive shift in the conversations we're having around diversity, equity, and inclusion. But while we are seeing progress in how DEI strategies are approached, there is still a lot of work to do. To help us put some clarity and vision into the DEI mission, joining me today is a very special guest, Ella F. Washington, Professor of Practice at Georgetown University McDonough School of Business, CEO of Elevate Solutions, and author of a great new book, The Necessary Journey, Making Real Progress on Equity and Inclusion. As a leader in the DEI space, Ella has dedicated her career to helping organizations create diverse and inclusive workplaces. And with that, she has developed the powerful DEI maturity model which outlines the different stages of an organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. In this episode, Ella talks us through her model and how to apply to it within your own organization. She will also share insights on what she has coined the three P's of DEI journeys and outline the common mistakes organizations invariably make when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My conversation with Ella is an inspiring one. So without further ado, Let's jump into the conversation where Ella starts by giving us a brief introduction to herself and how she got to where she is today. Well, hello everyone, David. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here and be in conversation and community with you today. I am an organizational psychologist by training, um, meaning I've spent my life's work thinking about the human side of business. Um, Specifically, I've studied diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I've been applying that in my consulting work as well as my research work. And so my two worlds often kind of intersect. And kind of my mission in being an organizational psychologist is to help improve the work lives of people like me and like you. Um, I truly believe everyone should have the opportunity to thrive in the workplace. And we spend so much of our lives at work that, you know, work shouldn't always be the thing that is stressing us out or we feel like we don't belong. And so that is the reason why I entered this field uh, many years ago. And that's what keeps me going. Even as the workplace changes, as people change, there's still this need for us to be in organizations where we can not only belong, but also thrive. I'm really interested that you get to apply your research in your consulting work with with um, with clients as well. So that's that's quite a nice mix, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's honestly one of the things that is core to who I am. I was really clear when I was going through my PhD program that although I think research has a really important place in the world, there's often a disconnect between what is happening in the ivory towers and what is happening in in real organizations. And as an organizational psychologist specifically, I thought it you know it's my duty to to be one of those bridges to marry the two. So it's something that I get really excited about. I think I have so many colleagues in academia doing such great research, so many practitioners doing such great work. And I think the more that we can have those two groups talk to each other and learn from each other, the, the better off we'll be in, in general. And as you said, you know, help and improve people's lives at work. I mean, it's a, that's a good mission. I love the way that you described it there. And, you know, we've really seen that, you know, in particular, I think, play out over the last two or three years. You know, if we if we focusing on the on the DEI aspect of that, you know, with all the social issues that that we're facing over recent years, there's definitely more talk about that, which I think is good because if we're talking, hopefully we're 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 learning and doing something about it. You know, obviously we had the pandemic and 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 the murder of George Floyd. You know, the DEI landscape has has been exponentially gaining um, significant attention. You know, as a leader in the DEI space, you know, how would you say conversations around this area have changed? Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, because you know, 2020 was such a formative year um, in this work. Uh, so many people turned their attention to the first time and other people, you know, became much more intentional about DEI. Um, but the reality is that DEI isn't a new thing. Um, in the first chapter of my book, I talk about the history of diversity management all the way back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and to where we are today. And, you know, some companies have been on very long journeys, even though they still may have challenges. Other companies, 
just came to their place of awakening in 2020. And so there's such a variance, which is kind of the impetus in, in the recent book that I published because everyone is on the journey at some place. It's just figuring out where we are on our journey, where do we want to go and how do we get there? And I think that's the universal element of this work. And so I've seen certainly ebbs and flows of conversation and intention. I think this year is a pivotal year in seeing how much of those conversations in 2020 are organizations still having three years later. Um, And so I know we'll talk about that a bit later, but I think it's been wonderful, but it's also a bit telling because history often repeats itself. And so we have to make sure that the ebbs that we saw before 2020, we don't return to now that we're a few years beyond, you know, 2020 and the, the summer of the racial reckoning. I think increasingly, and certainly we're seeing it in the work that, that we do, um, we work with people, analytics teams and big organizations, Ella. And, you know, when we ask them where people analytics is adding most value in their organization for the last two years, they've told us the DEI space, which is great to see because it, it kind of, what we're seeing in some of those companies is they're moving uh, beyond representation to actually looking at inclusion and, and, and equity at, at a much deeper level. And it's, I think also, you know, the reason for doing it is number one, obviously it's a business priority, it's good. So let's, let's hope it's still a flow and, 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 and continues to be a flow and not an ebb. But also I think employee expectations from, from all employees in the, in, the work, in the workplace, you know, increasingly, you know, com- employees want to work for an organization that is actually doing things about DEI and creating equitable workplaces. You know, presumably, is that is that helping the discussion as well? So some of it's coming from leaders, but a lot of it's coming from the the bottom up as well. So one of the the core tenets in my work is that a successful DEI strategy has to be it's mandated that it be top down and bottom up. And I know we often say that about many business imperatives, um, but the thing about DEI work or any human capital or culture work, you know, the leadership sets the tone from the top, as you're mentioning. Um, But it's really the people in the organization that bring that to life. For example, you could set a culture and talk about the culture you want to have all day, right? But it's the people working in all parts of the organization that either bring that culture to life or go against that culture and their behaviors and actions, right? So um, I I see DEI work is really critical that every place in the organization, every person in the organization, whether you are a frontline employee or whether you manage hundreds of people, we all have to see our part in this work. And the more that we push away this notion that this work is just housed in HR, this how this work is just housed with a diversity officer, if we have one, they can be the leadership. You know, they can lead the charge. But to implement it, it has to be both grassroots efforts, middle level management efforts, and, you know, of course, coming from the top. And quite frankly, my students will tell you, I often talk about middle level managers being the critical piece um, in the success of a DEI strategy because they're the ones that can get the messages from the top and they have to feed it to their teams and show what that really means. But they also have this opportunity to be a feedback loop and take from their teams back up to management what's working, what's not working. And I think empowering our middle-level managers to see how important they are in the success of these DEI efforts is one of the things that organizations haven't quite tapped into enough from my perspective. Brilliant. Uh, That's um, something we'll explore um, as we move through the conversation, Ella. Firstly, you know, I'm really keen to talk to you about your recently published book, you know, The Necessary Journey, Making Real Progress on Equity and Inclusion. Can you share more with listeners about the book and the inspiration behind it? Absolutely. So, you know, in 2020, as we've been talking about, you know, I met with many leaders um, of organization CEOs and chief human resource officers. And it was interesting, the direction of the conversations, no matter where the company was, if they were doing really well or they were completely clueless, at some point in our early conversation, the leader would pull me aside and say, okay, now, no, really, where are we on our journey and how do we compare to other people? And those questions are are very natural. Um, However, when I got them five and 10 and 20 and 30 times in the course of a very short amount of time, I'm like, there is something that's missing out here because leaders are all having the same questions. There's lots of great resources online, but people keep wanting to understand where are they on the journey and how do they know if they're making progress? And certainly, how do they compare to other people? Um, And so I I wanted to provide a framework of sorts 
so that people can start to to have a mental model of kind of where they are on this journey. So to do that, I needed to study as many organizations as I could to see what are the things that all organizations, no matter where they are on the journey, kind of have in common. Um, and then to bring it to life, I decided to feature nine case studies of real life companies um, and where they are on their DEI journeys. And so what's wonderful about this approach is that it's narrative style. It's written in a, in story format. So anybody that likes kind of business stories um, will really enjoy this book. There's a lot of books out there that have a lot of, you know, frameworks and uh, how to's. And I think those are great. And I think this book is a is a complimentary a perspective to those books because it's not a textbook. It's really meant to bring to life what the journey is all about. Like hearing from real people and their real stories. Um, my hope was that anyone reading this book can see themselves somewhere in this journey, whether they connect with a leader that was really struggling on a personal level or they connect with, you know, a company going through some tough times and trying to help that turn around. So, Ella, in the in the book, you talk about how organisations can can understand and define their own workplace utopia. You know, what is it? What is a you, workplace utopia? First of all, and and how can those HR leaders listening go about understanding their own individual workplace utopia? So, you know, workplace utopia is about conceptualizing the ideal work environment for everyone to be able to thrive. And how do we make that a reality? And so this concept relies heavily on the belief that our workplaces are ecosystems with different participants and contributors. And in the end, we all deserve to have an experience at work where we feel valued, respected, and that we can thrive. And so, you know, that means that everyone's workplace utopia won't be the same. You know, what I think of an ideal work environment may not be the same as what you think about it. However, the more that we can conceptualize and understand uh, what makes each person thrive, the more that we can create an organizational environment that at least tries to reach the most amount of people. Furthermore, you know, specifically for people doing the DEI work, Workplace Utopia for me is kind of a North Star. Like, what are we working towards? Because this work can be really hard and really taxing. And so the more that we can think about what is the I ideal state that we're working towards, not because we'll have unicorns and butterflies, it's not about that, but it is about you know, if we can't envision the, the future of our organizations in a way that we we can see this work having an impact, it's hard to keep going after it every single day. Yeah. And, and it, it's, as you say, conceptualizing that gives you something to strive for. And, and maybe, you know, if you make it measurable, understand where you are today and maybe where the gap is and, and, and what areas that you need to close. So it's, 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 it's having that vision, isn't it, that you're trying to get to? Absolutely. And and I think it's really powerful when you have a clear vision in mind and that helps you to make it real. Right. If we can't first say out loud, what is it we're trying to create? What is the experience? What is the feeling when people come to work? What is the feeling we want people to have when they go through these different processes in their employee journey? Um, we can't conceptualize that and we can't say it out loud and share it with the other folks, you know, that we're in leadership with. And it's hard to make those things come to life. And the fact it's called Utopia, you know, me being quite a fan of, of 16th century Tudor history as well, um, I particularly like that. But calling it Utopia, it, it, it's a statement that this is this is an ambition as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we know no workplace is perfect, but we can certainly strive, right? We can strive towards workplaces, especially if we're centering our team members and our employees um, and we're centering the human aspect of the workplace, which I think is something that's that's been missing in recent years. Let's pause for a short moment and give a big thank you to our sponsors of this series. ChartHop is on a mission to create healthy transparency within organizations so that employees and organizations thrive. How? By connecting the puzzle pieces of your people data to create a dynamic picture of your organization. Seeing everything in one place promotes people first and data-driven people operations. Every career milestone and the people who make them happen are powered by a people ops platform. Head to charthop.com forward slash digital HR to learn how to empower your organization through insights, alignment, 
and action with ChartHop. That's charthop.com forward slash digital HR. In the book, and, and there's a, you published a, a great article in Harvard Business Review on, on this, um, you, you, you present a, a DEI maturity model, um, and it consists of five stages of the DEI journey. Could you explain the various steps in, in more detail and, and maybe even highlight how organizations can progress from, from one stage to the other? Certainly. So the first stage in the journey is awareness. There has to be a reflective period in an organization where you think about what you really stand for. Uh, what are your values? How does diversity, equity, and inclusion connect with your values and who you are as an organization? Now, ideally, this happens at the conception of the organization. But we know that, you know, sometimes these human capital elements are forgotten, especially, for example, with startups. You know, they're just trying to survive. Or with organizations that have been around so long, you know, it's time for them to reset and realign with their values, especially as it comes to DEI. So awareness is, is really critical. We saw many organizations kind of revisiting that or, or starting there for the first time in 2020. The next stage is compliance. And so this is way where people are thinking about uh, maintaining uh, equal employment laws or other legal standards um, that they have to do to make sure they're not in violation. And compliance is not a bad thing. Compliance is a necessary part of this journey. You need to know what the laws and regulations are where you are. However, the challenge is when organizations get stuck in compliance. Um, we saw many organizations in the early 2000s kind of get stuck in this compliance space because they were actually afraid of litigation and other things. So they thought, you know, we're going to do the bare minimum, not because we don't care, but we're afraid that if we step outside these boundaries, you know, we can't make everyone happy. Someone might be upset. And so we want to make sure that though compliance is part of the um, journey, that we're moving forward into more um, tactical stages of how we think about where does DEI fit into our goals as an organization. So the third stage is that tactical stage. And so we're thinking about our DEI strategy. You know, what are we trying to accomplish here and how does it align with our strategic goals? And so in the tactical stage, you may have lots of programs happening. You may have recruitment efforts. You may have thoughts on how do you create more equity in the organization? There's so many things that can happen at the tactical stage. And much of those things are, are generally positive. The challenge of the tactical stage, though, is that oftentimes we are at different places within the organization um, on our journey. So you see organizations that, you know, one place you may feel like there's so much inclusion and connectivity. And then if you go to another place, the same employee, you know, goes to another part of the organization, those managers are not paying attention to these efforts in the same way. And so, you know, at the tactical stage, you can have a lot of stuff going on, but it has to be connected going towards a more kind of global or overall strategy for the organizations. We can't just do things in pockets. And that's what often happens at that tactical stage. Where we want to see organizations push to is stage four, the integrated stage. And this is exactly kind of the opposite of tactical. It's thinking about how do all of these things work together in a more integrated uh, strategic approach. Um, specifically at the integrated stage, an organization can truly say, that DEI is a part of everything that we do. And by everything that we do, I specifically mean our whole sphere of influence. So not just internally to our employees, but we're also thinking beyond that. We're thinking about our external stakeholders. We're thinking about our peer organizations. We're thinking about our influence in on social media. We're thinking about our industry. We're thinking about the communities that we um, connect with or serve in some way. And so, Organizations that have gone even beyond just those initial thoughts internally about DEI and are thinking across their whole sphere of influence in this integrated approach would be at stage four. And then the fifth and not final stage is the sustainable stage. And this is where organization maybe has been, you know, on this journey for quite some time and they can truly say that they've made progress and that the progress on DEI has sustained over, you know, changes in the economy, changes in leadership, changes in organizational direction, that through time, these efforts have been sustainable. 
And the reason why I say it's a fifth but not final stage is because we're never done, right? There should always be uh, a readjustment, realigning uh, of our efforts because people change, organizations change. You know, I hope that our conversations continue to evolve, but there should be an evolution in DEI efforts. So even your most successful organization is not going to be done, you know? They're going to continue to have to evolve. And so those are the five stages and how they continue uh, throughout an organization's life cycle. And it's actually really interesting. When you were talking through the the maturity model, you know, that importance of having defining that workplace utopia becomes even more important. And then to something you said even before that, you know, you get asked, how do we compare? And there is an obsession I find with organizations of the comparing themselves to others in, in, in a number of different fields. To me, I think, yes, you can learn from what others are doing. And no, of course, you don't want to be behind the curve. But perhaps a more important thing is to, to, to compare where you are versus that utopia that, that, that you've kind of defined. I completely agree. And it's one of the hardest things to talk to leaders about, because to your point, people get quite obsessed with comparing themselves to other people. And the challenging part is there is no one size fits all when it comes to DEI work. So, yes, it's helpful to look at what your direct competitors are doing or to what other people are doing that maybe you admire some of their efforts and seeing how you can replicate those. But you must take into account your specific approach. You have to take into account your specific mission as an organization. What resources that you have? You're not like every other organization. Maybe you have more, maybe you have less resources um, to, you know, connect to these efforts. You also think about your organizational priorities, right? You have to have a leadership team that's aligned with those same priorities. And so the list goes on of ways that, you know, we should certainly learn from other organizations, but we must understand that there is no one size fits all. And what works at another organization may or may not work here, right? And we have to be okay with, you know, trying things out and realizing, well, that didn't quite work because our culture may demand something a little bit different or our workforce is thinking about other specific things that we need to consider. Um, And so I love, you know, that the community learning efforts that have certainly increased since 2020, many more people are sharing their journeys. Um, Many more organizations are sharing their DEI reports publicly. I love that. Um, And I want that to keep being the standard. But I think when you think about your own organization, you must be willing to look internally and have those internal metrics of success, David, to your point of comparing where we were last year to where we want to be three years from now. What's the role of data in this? So for an organization, A, to understand where they are, but also how they can use data to, to get where they want to be. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the people analytics um, efforts really have increased in the past 10 years, as your audience likely knows. Um, But they didn't just start in 2020. And so for many organizations, they have had data, right? It's how do we use the data? Are we actually using the data to make, um, you know, decisions for the future of our organization? Um, And so and, and how are we thinking beyond demographic data? So, you know, analytics can really help us to understand, to your point, a baseline of where we are. But I encourage organizations, especially that have more mature analytic capabilities, to start to be um, more predictive in their models. Like, how can they think about their performance management system using their data, right? How can they think about Um, attrition, right? Or, you know, for certain groups within the organization using the data that we have. And also, how do we make sure that we're not just relying on quantitative data, that we're also allowing qualitative data to kind of fill in some of the gaps that maybe just our engagement or our culture survey doesn't quite give us the full picture if we don't dig deeper with some focus groups or some of those qualitative questions. Um, And so I think data is a huge part of you know, the journey, because it's how we know if we're making progress. If we're not measuring our efforts in a meaningful way, we cannot track our progress. And so that's one of the critical pieces to success is being able to track progress. And I think analytic data is the number one way we do that. And then if we look at a a sustainable organization, are you able to give an example of uh, an organization that's at stage five at the sustainable level and maybe i mean you may if you can name the organization great but understand if you can't but also what you believe is is helping them to keep stay there i would say from my book that pwc is an organization that is really at or nearing the sustainable stage not because they're perfect 
Um, you'll hear me say a lot, no organization is perfect, but it's because they have been truly intentional um, about their their DEI efforts over time. Um, and they've demonstrated even throughout ebbs and flows within their organization, changes in the tide of, you know, what's popular. You know, they've been on this journey for 40 plus years. Um, so they are not new to the work of DEI. However, they have had to kind of interrogate themselves over and over, which is what we want organizations to be doing to understand, okay, what we did in the 90s maybe isn't enough to meet the the need of today, right? So how do we continue to evolve? I think they've shown strong leadership under the helm of Tim Ryan over the past decade, but also um, other leaders that report into Tim that have really, you know, taking this seriously. You've also seen PwC go beyond kind of pockets of these efforts to having, you know, efforts throughout the whole organization. So their day of conversation, uh, you know, it wasn't just in some markets, they did it across the whole organization. Everyone participated in those days of conversation, which is really big for a whole organization to go offline for any amount of time to for people to talk to each other, right? And so that's a big deal. I think the other thing that you've seen with PwC is they really thought critically about their larger sphere of influence. So not just the um, hundreds of thousands of employees they have in the U.S., but also they think about like, how do we impact this industry? How do we think beyond just the PwC realm? And Tim Ryan, along with other partners, started, you know, this coalition uh, with the CEO pledge, uh, you know, of organizations and to not only know like how we can all improve, but how can we help each other? How can we create a community of open resources uh, to see a better world? And so in many ways, I think PwC has used its resources um, in a way that has really made them at a sustainable place in their journey, though not perfect. And so what I love is their leaders are still always thinking about like, what do we need to focus on next, right? And how do we continue these efforts and how do we continue to, to move and grow with our with the ever changing landscape of our employees, of our customers and clients and our suppliers and all of those, you know, parts of their sphere of influence? No, I really like that example because it, it talks to what you were saying earlier when you went through the five stages of, on sustainable of, of actually thinking about the communities that you that you serve as well. So and as you said, PwC is a is a recognized brand name. It's 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 a name that you know, people respect, um, in the, you know, and people know. So when you when you hear that coming from them, then that 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 co- kind of coalesces people together, I guess. So really good, really good example, Ella. And also in the book, you, you describe the the three P's of uh, DEI journeys: purpose, pitfalls, and and progress. Can you share more about this with listeners as as, as well, please? Yeah. So the three P's is you know, after I wrote the book, I was thinking, you know, what are those things that people, whether they're leaders in organizations or they're an individual on their own journey. Uh, what are those things that we can all connect with? And when I thought about it, it was purpose, pitfalls, and progress. So purpose is, again, that question of what's important to us or what's important to me as an individual? Why do I seek to you know, improve in this area? And this is not for us to have you know, our communications team give us the best party line. This should be a truly authentic, genuine answer about why is this important to us as an organization or as an individual? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, in my book, and I often say in my consulting, you know, Ben & Jerry's is a fantastic organization. They've done so much work in the social justice and workspace. But you know what? We can't all be Ben & Jerry's. And that's OK. You know, maybe our mission is not the same as theirs. Um, you know, our purpose, our stakeholders are different. And so when we think about our purpose. We have to be honest about who we are and who we want to be. And so that's, you know, that purpose question. And that kind of sets our goal. What's that ideal state? What are we working towards? Then the next question is holding up the mirror. So we've decided who we want to be and why. We hold up the mirror. What's holding us back? What are those pitfalls? And that's probably the hardest thing for organizations to answer because we all like to talk about the good, but we don't always like to reflect on the bad and the things that have maybe held us back. Sometimes they're grave mistakes as organizations. Sometimes they're things that we've overlooked. Maybe we say we want a diverse recruitment pool, but we really haven't truly put the effort to diversifying our recruitment pool. Maybe we've gone to 10 new schools, but did we really truly go to schools that serve minority populations, for example? 
Have we really uh, thought about non-traditional ways to get our uh, recruitment efforts? So maybe it's not a college degree. Maybe it's a certification. Maybe it's a community college. And so we got to hold up the mirror is the point. You know, we, we can all have the best intentions, but if we're not honest about either the mistakes we've made or the things that may be holding us back to get to that place where we're, you know, leading towards, then we're never going to be able to make progress. And at that individual level, you know, sometimes it's being honest about how you grew up or the blind spots that you have or the areas of insecurity maybe that you have in talking about uh, pronouns or talking about, you know, a difficult area, talking about race, you know, or, or really engaging with your team, right? We all have areas to grow, but we got to be honest about those pitfalls. And the last is progress. So we talked a little bit about that earlier, but, you know, progress is all about what are the short-term and long-term metrics that tell us when we have made progress? How do we get to that ideal state of purpose? And I think that's truly where analytics comes in um, because we we must have, you know, short-term and long-term ways of saying we're on the right track or no, we need to revisit and rethink. And, you know, progress doesn't have to be linear. <laughs> that's one of the the challenging things, I really encourage organizations to try new things, you know, think outside the box and be okay with saying, hey, we tried this thing. It didn't work the best. You know, we tried recruiting at these three new schools and we didn't do a great job there. Maybe we need to revisit this strategy. You know, we should be able to experiment and try new things and be honest when they're working and not working in order to really make progress. No, that's great. And it's good. You know, nice to see. You know, it's a nice, nice, simple model for people to to look at the purpose, pitfalls, and and progress as well. And you're just so, if you're right, it's so important. You know, what are our long long term and short term goals, and and how can we measure what what we're doing against that, and not being afraid to experiment, you know, and learn, you know, and and, and move forward as well. So you talked about some of these, I think, Ella, already in the conversation. But what would you say are the the most common mistakes um, that organisations make during their DEI journey, and and what can they do to avoid them? So I think the number one mistake is uh, thinking the journey is going to be linear. Um, you know, we often want to see if we put one effort in, we want a one effort out, right? We think it's a one-to-one ratio. And that's just not the truth because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with humans. And so maybe you had a wonderful slew of DEI programming, but maybe it didn't land with the audience. Something was missing for whatever reason. You got to investigate that. And you have to know that doesn't mean it's a failed effort, but it, it is still an opportunity. And so that can be frustrating because I think in a lot of other spaces, uh, leaders are used to, okay, we put this plan into action, we activate on the plan and we get the desired outcomes. And sometimes that's the case with DEI and sometimes it's not. And we have to understand the journey is not always going to be linear. And you know, it's also not a short-term journey. It's hard to change culture. Any culture book you read will talk about how, you know, even one person cannot change a culture. One person can certainly influence a culture, such as a new CEO or something like that. But people have to buy into culture change and it takes a while to see that. And so if you're thinking about things beyond just demographics, if you get into the equity and the inclusion part of the conversation and those senses of belonging, those are all cultural elements. And so even if you change all of the formal parts of the organization, those informal parts of culture are not going to change overnight. So we have to give it time and also not get frustrated and, and give up if we don't see, you know, the impact of our efforts in one or even two or even three years. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. And would you say, if you if we take DEIB to be integrated and be sustainable, 
you have to be focused on the E, I, and B as well, and not just the D. Absolutely. I think that, you know, diversity is just one part of the story. It's an important part of the story, but it is not the only part of the story. And so much research, you know, over the years have sh- has shown us that diversity without inclusion doesn't doesn't go very far. It actually can have the reverse impact by creating more silos in the organization. If, you know, you bring in a lot of women, for example, in a male dominated organization, but you don't support them, you don't make them feel integrated in the teams, their voice is not valued and heard then they're likely not going to share their perspective. You're not going to get the benefits of a diverse population if you don't have those senses of inclusion and belonging. And equity is one of those necessary elements that if there's not equity, there's not going to be that sense of inclusion. Um, You need processes and how we get things done to be equitable because that is also a necessary piece. So I think it's all of it, which is you know, as you think about the industry, people are always like, well, should we call it diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice? And, you know, for me, that's always an interesting question because I've been doing this work for a very long time and I've seen the evolution of the acronyms. And I think it's great to have, you know, a title that reflects the work that you're doing. But from my vantage point, the work is still the same. So call it what you need to call it to connect with your your stakeholders, but make sure you're doing the actual work. Don't just throw equity in there if you're not really going to be focused on making your processes and your systems equitable. Because if you're just saying equity for the sake of saying equity, because most organizations are doing it, that can actually cause further damage. Because when your employees ask, like, what does equity mean for us and what are we doing to ensure it? If you don't have anything to respond, that can cause, you know, even more challenge. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously to deliver equity, you need to be able to measure it. And we, you've talked to this, you know, a little bit as well. So, so the question, you know, is how can organisations measure the progress of their DEI efforts? So maybe, you know, if you've got an example to share around how an organisation is successfully measuring it, or typical, um, typical long and and, and short term. Um, KPIs or, or, or measurements that they might be might be in, uh, using to to measure that progress. That would be that would be great to hear as well. I think. Yeah. So some things that organizations have done certainly we can start with the demographics around diversity. So they're tracking not only you know their recruitment efforts um, in these spaces, but they're also tracking attrition within the organization because oftentimes you see you know people of color or other uh, underrepresented groups leaving the organizations at higher rates. Um, than other people. And so paying attention to those differences. Same thing with promotion. If we're thinking about diversity, we can't just be thinking about diversity of people that come in the door or diversity overall. We gotta think about what's the diversity at each level of the organization. So those are some areas that people have focused um, on in terms of diversity. When we think about inclusion and belonging, it's interesting because you know many organizations are using things like inclusion surveys or engagement surveys. And I think those are great. But I do think they miss the mark if those are the only elements of connection that you have, if you have a once a year survey. And so organizations that have been most successful, I think, have some ways that their managers are engaging in these conversation and these feedback loops on a more frequent basis. You know, some companies like Amazon will have more frequent surveys. And so their managers, I think, answer surveys on a biweekly or monthly basis, you know, on a more frequent basis. So they're getting more information. Um, But it also can be charging your managers with having these conversations on a more frequent basis and having some type of reporting back mechanism to upper management. So it's one thing to have conversations, but creating that feedback loop for those managers to really be bringing back the challenges and the things that are going really well uh, to your HR leaders, to your diversity leaders is really important. In terms of equity, so it's interesting there because there's... uh, actual equity in processes and outcomes. And then there's equity in terms of how how it's perceived, those informal parts of the organization. I think organizations should be looking at both of those things, right? So for example, some organizations will tell me, well, you know, we have this, this career pipeline process. It's on our HR website. Everyone should know about it, right? But then you ask employees in a focus groups and they think that it's so opaque of how you get promoted. Right. And so there's a mismatch there. Maybe it's increased communication that's needed to let people know about the career progression that's been posted. But we also have to interrogate, you know, are there informal mechanisms of this process 
that are not posted that are keeping people back or there's a perception that is keeping them from success. So when we're thinking about equity, um, you can think about the metrics, you know, thinking about uh, metrics of promotion and even evaluation across demographic groups. But you also want to find ways to measure those informal uh, understandings of culture because they can have a large influence just as much as the actual process itself. And are you seeing or working with organizations that are looking at, I don't know, network data, for example, to understand, I know, inclusion within and between between teams or, you know, how your network might affect, might have, might networks might affect promotion? Have you seen companies doing that? I have seen that a little bit. And I think it's really fascinating the companies that have looked at uh, email and, and Slack um, information to measure, you know, how many touch points, how many touch points across levels and things like that that people have and how that is different or similar by demographic groups and how that leads to career progression. I think that's amazing data. I think the reality is that most organizations are not that sophisticated to be able to track and measure that level of data and also having the resources to make meaningful um you know, results from that. So again, you may have the data as an organization, but many diversity officers will say they don't have the the, the bandwidth. They don't have the um, internal resources to even sit and sift through that data. And so um, I think organizations that are able to do that are, you know, really ahead of the curve, but I don't see enough organizations with either the analytic capabilities or the resources, the manned resources to really dive into those data in a meaningful way. Yeah, I, I suppose the hypothesis for me, maybe it's because we work with a lot of organizations have quite sophisticated people analytics functions, is as people, as co- companies build out people analytics, that capability should exist and they should be able to work on that. But I suppose the most important thing, and you've touched on this, you can measure, measure, measure. You can measure all the right things. You can do more frequent surveying. You can empower managers. But ultimately, you've got to you've got to action this. You've got to empower people to take action, and you've got to communicate that you're taking that action as well, haven't you? Absolutely. This is still a human element of work, and so we can measure, but we have to have people doing the work, right? Having the conversations, uh, standing up in those tough moments. You know, calling out inequities when we see them, and so. You know, I do acknowledge that this work is sometimes harder to quantify, which is why many organizations just rely on those uh, diversity demographics, because the other stuff is really hard to quantify and it can be frustrating. That doesn't mean we should stop. And I, and I do love how, you know, many organizations have used their advanced people analytics capabilities to try to, you know, connect the dots more and to make it more real for people, because I know many leaders struggle with that sense of, well, I can't really quantify inclusion. How do I quantify belonging? How do I know if it's working? Um, And so I think even, you know, for the analytics folks that are listening to uh, help people educate, you know, the leaders in the organization, how they connect those metrics to what they consider success. And so, for example, you know, many leaders can tell you like how many sales they have and how that connects to their bottom line. Or, you know, how many, you know, new clients they get and how that connects to their bottom line. But often when it comes to the human side, they don't connect, you know, how much attrition their team has or how long it takes to onboard new employees or how long it takes for the team to make a decision. For example, they don't connect those elements to their bottom line in the same way. And that's what I want to see more of. I want to see more organizations thinking about how do these human elements of our team and our organization connect to us doing our best work and not just conceptually. How do we have data that shows, you know, when we have this percentage of engagement, we have this percentage of outputs that we really care about. Again, that's difficult and you need resources to do that. But we've seen it at a macro level, you know, organizations like Gallup, for example, will show you data over time for many organizations and how, you know, things like employee engagement lead to employees staying longer or taking on new work or being more um, honest when they made a mistake and things like that. What we want to see that is at the individual organizational level, right? If you can say those things for your organization, that's so powerful. And I think that's where data plays a role. But again, I just don't see organizations 
spending enough of their resources connecting those human elements to that those business outcomes that leaders most care about. Yeah, no, 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 really good point. Moving to the last couple of questions, Ella. So I suppose two looking forward, I guess. So one specifically around DEI. You know, what do you think organizations should be focusing on next? And I know probably part of that it depends where they are, but it depends what their priorities are. But but generally speaking, if we think about the field, where do you think organizations or the field should be looking next? So it's interesting because I don't think that organizations have taken enough stock of where they are and the progress they've made over the past three years even. I think we're always trying to do the next thing and, and ride the next wave. But what I want to see organizations is to take a step back in 2023 and say, what have we done since 2020? Have we delivered on our promises or do we need to, you know, try something different? Maybe we tried some things that didn't work as well. I think being intentional with that as opposed to just the next lofty goal is more impactful because, you know, surveys that have been given globally, most employees have either not seen their organization really do very much since 2020 other than the initial pledge or what have you, or they don't think the efforts have been successful, right? And so I want organizations to take stock. And I think this is a good time because, you know, for many organizations, they are facing um, the pending economic downturn, right? And so oftentimes, as we know, HR roles and especially diversity management roles are among the first to get cut when we do see an economic downturn. So it's an important place right now for us to say, okay, how committed are we to these efforts? You know, how can we be sustainable in our efforts even when we have economic challenges? To me, that's this is this is the period of a true test. And so I want organizations to really be taking stock. So it's that it's that opportunity or that period of reflection, as you said, you know, have we achieved what we set out to achieve? What have we done well? What are, where could we improve? And 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 using that period of reflection to kind of reset maybe the the workplace utopia that you talked about, and 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 understand how they're going to get there. And you know, quite frankly, those organizations that have made great progress, it's still an opportunity to reset because it's like, okay, we accomplished those goals for the past three years. Now, where should our our next area of focus be? What are we hearing from employees that they're still struggling with? What's on employees' mind? That's the evolution part of like always asking that question. And so um, there are always going to be trends in the HR market. And I think, you know, you should pay attention to those. But I think we have to make sure we're getting those basics down before we can, you know, ride the next wave of the fancy thing that's out there. We got to make sure that we really are solid on our diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging efforts. Similar question, and this is one we're asking everyone on this series of, of the podcast, and it's pretty a bit broader because we're looking uh, across um, HR now. It, what do you think HR leaders really need to be thinking about in the next 12 to 24 months? And in relation to that, what would be your biggest concern and, and what do you see as the biggest opportunity? So my biggest concern is you know, a decline in resources and intention around DEI in the looming economic times. Um, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, we saw a 40% decrease in diversity management roles um, just at the beginning of 2020 because of you know the uncertain economy at that time. Now, you know we had the racial reckoning later that year, so we saw that uh, turn completely around. DEI roles tripled by the end of 2020, but we should not have to have a racial reckoning or any other type of social justice reckoning in order for us to know how important these roles are and not just the roles themselves, but giving the adequate resources to them, giving more to the people analytics team, maybe having someone in charge of, you know, diversity on the people analytics team. Right. And so those are the things that I'm most concerned about um, because, you know, from my clients, I'm seeing, you know, the budgets are shrinking. Um, and leaders are worried about, you know, what seemingly are larger problems, especially when you see all in the news about layoffs and industries like tech, like all of those are real things. And so while those real things are happening, we still have to make sure we're finding ways and maybe it's not monetary resources, but there's still other resources such as time um, and, and other ways that we can show that we're committed, even if we're not recruiting, you know, this year, that's okay. There are other ways we can make sure that we're connecting with the inclusion and the, and the belonging of the employees that are still on our team. And the biggest opportunity? The biggest opportunity for HR leaders in general, um, I, I still think it's 
uh, connecting data to their DEI journey and not the macro level data that you'll get in a really interesting McKinsey report or Gallup report. Um, those are great. And I think you use those as examples for how you bring it down to your organization. But I would love it if every HR leader could tell me the ROI, you know, when they've hired a new class and based on their diversity metrics. I would love it if every business line leader could tell me, you know, how their uh, business has been impacted um, by having more diversity or and having more inclusion in terms of their culture, right? Finding ways to connect the people analytics data to those bottom lines. I would love to see that in every organization. So I think that's the biggest opportunity. And I suppose back to your model, it, it, if you can do that, if companies can, you know, deliver or realize that opportunity, then that will drive them to be more su they're sustainable as well. Because when you connect, connect it to business results, that's when you get senior level uh, attention and real buy-in. Absolutely. And that's where you get the commitment, even in times of economic challenge, because we know that it's not just a nice to have, it's not just to make people feel good. That's part of it, certainly. But when we think about like, no, this is critical for our business success, that it doesn't become a, a the first order of business on the chopping block when we're thinking about how to you know cut resources. Maybe we do have to cut resources, but we don't necessarily have to make that deprioritize just because maybe our resources may not be the same as they were in 2020. Well, Ella, I think we could probably talk about this for a lot longer, but we, we're up to just over 50 minutes. So uh, thank you so much for, for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I've learned, I've learned a lot from our conversation. Um, can you let listeners know how they can find you on social media and connect with you, learn more about your work, learn more about the book? Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Ella, E-L-L-A-F, Washington. Very active on LinkedIn. And you can find more about the book, uh, The Necessary Journey, on any place that books are sold. But specifically, you can go to thenecessaryjourney.com and find out more about the book and where you can get it. Ella, it's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Take care. Thanks so much for having me, David. And that concludes this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you found Ella's insights on navigating your organization's DEI journey informative and useful. If you did enjoy the episode, please take a moment to rate us five stars on your preferred podcast platform and share it with your network on social media. Your feedback and support is essential in helping us to continue to produce high quality content. And to stay up to date on our latest episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com to keep up with some of the latest developments in the field. Once again, thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Until then, stay healthy and take care.